Hey lovely people, thanks for listening in and welcome back to The Fourth Wall. We have got a fantastic show for you today. Later on, I'm going to be chatting to the wonderful Scott Allen about all things life, fatherhood and songwriting. So as we always do, we're going to kick off our show with our discussion point. Don't forget that you can get involved on this by following us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook and letting us know your thoughts. So carrying on from the last few weeks where we focused on some of the real stories of some of our much-loved Disney princesses such as Pocahontas and The Little Mermaid, um, I thought this week we would focus on Cinderella. Again, I know that there's not a real story of Cinderella and there's just the fairy tale version but there are quite a few comparisons um, from the much-loved Disney version that we all know and love. So most people know the story of Cinderella. Um, poor orphan girl, evil stepmother, evil stepsisters, uh, prince charming at a ball with a, you know, no one knows who you are. It's everybody's dream, kind of. (laughs) Um, You know, poor orphan girl, stepmother, even worse stepsisters, woos the dreamy prince charming at a ball in a dress crafted by whimsical cat animals and a fairy godmother. We know about the glass slipper, we know about the stroke of midnight, We know about the happily ever after. However, like most fairy tales, the real story written by the Grimm brothers is much, much darker. There is no stroke of midnight. There is no dim-witted mice. And, unfortunately, no bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. So, in the Grimm's fairy tale version, uh, Cinderella is actually not the real name of the protagonist. In lots of the stories, uh, her name is Ella. Um, and she's given the nickname Cinderella because of the cinders and the ashes that are on her face. Um, But we never actually know her name or anyone else's name in the Grimm's version. And the story starts with her mother's last words before dying of an unknown illness um, that are encouraging her daughter to always be good and kind. And this is kind of mirrored in the live-action Disney version where we do see her mother in contrast to the Disney cartoon version where we didn't, we never see her mother. So the loss of her mother breaks poor Cinderella and she spends every day at her mother's grave. After a year, her father marries a woman who brings two daughters into the family. From here, no one knows where her father goes. Um, someone who lets her get her, their daughter get treated the way that she does. Uh, no wonder she loved and missed her mother so much. Her new mother and sisters tossed all of her clothing away, dressed her in rags and forced her to fashion wooden shoes for herself. They then teased and berated her for how she was dressed and even refused to allow her to sit in the same room as them. Their favourite means of torturing the poor girl was to dump lentils into the fireplace ashes and force her to pick them out, clean them and sort them through the good and the bad ones. And this activity would cause her to be covered in ash and soot, hence the name of Cinderella. Now, if you've ever seen Into the Woods, you will know that this is very, very close to the Grimm's brother version. 
as you know in Into the Woods if you've seen it Cinderella is given the task of cleaning up lentils and when she's finished uh, the stepsisters tease her calling her Cinderella because of the ashes on her face so as the story continues her father goes on a journey and he asks his daughters what they would like him to bring back for them now obviously the stepsisters command jewels finest clothes things like that Um, Cinderella simply requests that he returns with the first twig that brushes against his hat on the way home. This hazel twig that he brings back is taken by Cinderella, planted at her mother's grave and watered by the child's tears and grows into a large tree. And this tree acts as a magical conduit from her mother to help Cinderella. So finally, the ball is announced for the prince to find his new bride. It's a three-day affair and everyone is invited. Cinderella pleads with her stepmothers and stepsisters to be able to attend and the request is met with scorn from her sisters. The mother dumps a plate of lentils into the ashes and laughs that Cinderella may attend if the lentils are taken care of. Ringing a bell with Into the Woods. The task is completed by her friends, the birds, and the mother merely dumps more lentils into the ashes, two platefuls this time. And again, the task is done by the birds for the girl. So with her sister and mother already at the ball, Cinderella goes to her tree and begs for a dress. The finest dress falls from the tree and Cinderella goes to the ball. So you notice no fairy godmother, no magical pumpkin, (laughs) unfortunately. But she goes to the ball, she dances with the prince and she flees after the party and returns each night for all three nights, each time with a more magnificent dress. Now, I will say this is sort of in line with Into the Woods. So in Into the Woods, there are there is a three day ball, um, but Cinderella doesn't necessarily go to all of them and she doesn't necessarily return with she doesn't definitely doesn't have a more magnificent dress each time. So you can see there's a bit of contrast there. So the third night's escape, her golden slipper falls off. So you'd notice it's not a glass slipper, it's a golden slipper. And this gold slipper falls off and the prince begins his now infamous hunt through the land to find the foot that fits the slipper. Now it's beginning to feel a little bit more familiar. Okay, so not too horrifying yet, apart from a bit of overzealous bullying. But here is where the fun begins. The Brothers Grimm wouldn't let us get away with such a timid fairy tale. So the prince gets to Cinderella's house and the first sister goes to the back room to try the slipper on. Obviously, it doesn't fit. So the solution, her mother tells her to slice off her toes because she won't need to do any walking as a queen anyway. The best part, she does it, and the prince buys it. Fortunately, as they are riding off, the friendly bird points out that there is blood pouring from the shoe. So the prince turns around, returns to the house, returns the sister. Sister number two's turn. Pretty much the same story, except this one slices off her own heels. Again, birds point out the pouring blood, and the prince returns again. This time he gets the right girl. Cinderella puts on the now surely blood-soaked shoe and rides off to get married. Uh, My possibly favourite part of this story is that the birds are quite 
vindictive and quite evil and they decide to rip out the crippled stepsister's eyes at the wedding um so i'm not sure disney may have used this ending in their their musical versions or their live action versions but uh may who knows maybe there's a grimm's live action version in there somewhere so just before we move on i just wanted to celebrate the fact that theater is back i know that not all theater is back and it will still be a while for theaters to be back in full but oh can we just appreciate the the strength and the passion and the tenacity and the and just the oh, the whole the whole industry like yes there have been things going on behind the scenes that have not been great and yes we still have ways to go in terms of other things but I mean we're back guys and yeah I can't wait so let me know if you've booked a show let me know if you have booked to see anything or if you've seen anything already I know that things were open um on the 17th and some things opened on the 17th uh so yeah let me know if you've you were the first in line to go and see anything live uh I have yet to see my first live theatre show but I can't wait um so yeah let us know So it's that time again when we have a game. So we're going to stick with our game of the season. I've really enjoyed these and well done if you've been playing along online or if you've been playing along with the podcast and you've been getting them right. So I'm going to give you a list of five people and all you have to do is tell me the character that links all of them. So our five people this week are Kim Walker, Melanie Field, Jodie Steele, Jessica keenan Wynn, and Madison Firth. Again, I'll say them again. They are Kim Walker... Melanie Field, Jodie Steele, Jessica Keenan Wynn, and Madison Firth. So stay tuned to hear the answers and let us know if you got it right. We're going to be playing this over on our social media, so go and get involved. So I would now love to welcome onto the show Scott Allen. Welcome. Hello. So we'll start with a game. This is a word association game. So I'll just give you a word and you just give me whatever word pops into your head. Sounds good. So colour. Blue. Animal. Dog. Musical. Les Mis. Love. Family. Inspiration. Piano. Mm. Music. Heart. Lyrics. Uh, music. Happiness. Uh, the sun. Oh, nice. Anger. The cold. <laughs> Confusion. Dark. Optimism. Um, light. Classic. Um, Leia Salanga. Ooh. Relaxing. Um, sleep. <laughs> Fear. Um, I don't believe in fear. You. Oh. Oh, nice. Oh, well, thank you. Just a little. Of course, thank you. Little game to get us started. Um, so why don't you start off with telling us what's making you happy at the moment? 
family. Uh, I have a beautiful daughter. She's almost 20 months old now. Um, oh. And uh, she is the light of our lives. Uh, for anyone that's ever followed my career, they're very aware that it's something I've always wanted was to be a dad. Um, and so to have her um, in my life is, is one of the most rewarding things in the world. Um, it's also rewarding that now we have a babysitter that's vaccinated that can take her out for a day. But outside of that, it's, uh, uh. it's uh, <laughs> the most rewarding thing for me right now is uh, being a dad. That's the, the thing that makes me happiest. Oh, amazing. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of yourself and um, your journey um, within the, the theater and the arts industry? Sure. Um, I have been um, a composer for as long as I can remember, but in once uh, in around 2007, I was able to quit all my day jobs and uh, actually do this for a living. Um, I released, actually that's not true, 2009. 2007, I released my debut album, 2009, when I was able to uh, live off of my fortune, <laughs> um, do this for a living and, um, and pursue it full time. And uh, I write music uh, that are standalone songs for the most part. And uh, I write about my life and my relationships and my joys and my depression. And, um, and now I write about my daughter and my husband a lot. And uh, I've released uh, eight albums of my work and I will be coming out with my ninth album, hopefully by the end of this year. Uh, that's all dedicated to my daughter and songs that I've written for her, uh, sung by only um, the parents in the LGBTQ community. Um, and hopefully that'll inspire other people to uh, recognize that they too can be parents in this community and that, uh, you know, it's, it's possible. So for, for me, I guess, if I were defining myself, I would define myself as uh, a father, a husband, and then a songwriter. Oh, amazing. I think that's so, that's so inspirational. And I, I love that idea of being able to be an inspiration to other people as well. Um, to, to maybe people who maybe haven't thought about, maybe haven't been able to think about becoming a parent or maybe have it's been a, been a bit of a, a wall blockage maybe for, for some people. Well, I think for a lot of people in the, the, the community of uh, the LGBTQ community, uh, we were always told that we couldn't be parents. Mm. Uh, you know, first we were recognized uh, or not recognized for, you know, legalized marriage. And now that that's passed, at least in the States and other uh, countries, not all, um, you know, to, to now be able to see ourselves as parents is a beautiful thing. But, you know, there's still a lot of places in the world and there's a lot of states in, in, in our country that, uh, you know, still discriminate against uh, this community. And so it's really important for us to come together and rally around each other and uh, show people that life does get better and you too can be a parent. And, you know, when you're, you know, come out to your family and they say, oh, all they wanted was grandkids, you could say, great, because I'm expecting to have, give you one one day. Um, you know, those, those uh, thoughts of not having a, a wedding and having kids is is no longer one of those things that we could look at and say that is it, it is impossible so it's yeah. uh something that I, I feel really strongly about and 
um, you know, when we were looking at the performer list and how to go about it, um, it just made sense to include um, only gay parents on this album. Um, and, you know, it, it's not a it's not a lullaby album. It's a, it's a, a an album of stories that I've written from, uh, you know, prior to Alex arriving and then the night before uh, her arrival and then you know, time with her in the NICU um, and, uh, and forward. So it's, uh, it's an interesting journey uh, to listen to the album in full and sort of how it comes to completion. And uh, it won't be everyone's journey, but hopefully they'll be able to recognize or find something on the album that uh, speaks to them. Oh, amazing. I can't wait to listen to it. It sounds awesome. So uh, what, what has, yeah, what has life been like for you um, as a parent, I guess, now being a parent kind of during, during a pandemic as well? What's that been like doing that as well as, um, you know, with the songwriting and, and, and stuff? Well, I mean, parenting is, is a full-time job. And uh, as I mentioned, we just were able to bring in a babysitter nanny um, because of the vaccinations. But, uh, you know, she's, she's a pandemic baby. You know, she was uh, five months old when the pandemic started, which means that she also hadn't received her flu shot yet. And so we were very uh, hesitant about having her out in the world because we didn't want to get her the flu. So we were waiting until the flu shot. And obviously <laughs> that worked against us. Um, so she just saw her first, I know this is in uh, a London thing, but she was, she just bought, saw her first uh, Target, which is a big uh, drugstore here. And, uh, you know, she's, she's now, you know, starting to you know integrate into the playgrounds and uh sort of be able to see the world but you know these kids you know they they didn't get to see a lot of smiles outside of their parents uh and i think you know for her she was probably like oh i have other people in the world to look at other than my crazy two gay dads <laughs> um so for you know for us it's been um it's been really great to watch her develop over the the last past uh, months since uh, Jerry and I, my husband and I, uh, have got our vaccinations, um, and uh, you know we're we're very protective of her, but we also want her to dream big and see the world and fail so she can reach success. And um, you know, so we put her out there and let her, you know, do what she needs to do. Oh, awesome. Um... Oh, cool. So is there anything that you wish you had known before you kind of started your your career as a, as a composer? Um, I think um, is there anything I wish I knew um, that there will. And I think this goes for any career. Um, there are ebb and flows. I'm sure you're going to experience this with your podcast. You'll you know, mm -hmm. at times you probably reach out to people and think, you know, is it even possible to uh, get those people? And you're sometimes shocked. And then you're also sometimes not shocked by the people who don't respond. Um, we all go through it. You know, the, all I can say in, in terms of your own work is to keep, you know, doing what you can. If you believe in your work, uh, keep reaching out to the people that you want to speak to and don't, you know, uh, worry too much about annoying them, uh, you know, do it in a practical kind way. But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me is that I, I, I watch the ebb and flows. And I wish I knew that a little bit beforehand, that you were going to have your highs and, uh, 
you know, you, you'd get your ego because you thought you were the king of the world and then you would fall pretty quickly down. Um, and the only way to uh, rise back up is, is on your own merit. So um, that's probably the only thing that I wish I would have known a little bit before because I probably would have been a little bit more concentrated on not uh, tuning my own horn at the beginning, which I did do. Um, and uh, I would have sort of concentrated on just the work and not... Uh, you know, everything else that came with it, especially mm -hmm. at the beginning that in 2007, you know, the message boards were just beginning and there was no Twitter yet and just Facebook. And, you know, you, mm -hmm. you really started believing your own hype and, um, and uh, you can't, you really can't in this industry. You just can't, uh, you can't in any industry, you just be kind and nurture yourself and nurture others. And, um, and that's the only way that you'll continue with some sort of uh, success, whatever, you know, you wanted to find success as. Mm. Oh, amazing. Um, so you are bringing your song cycle um, back over to London, the distance you have come. Um, right. So what's what's that been like? Um, I guess for me, I saw it the first time it was here, which was a few years ago now, I think yeah, it was. It was yeah um yeah and that was that was amazing i was totally blown away by that so kind of what's that process been like now um kind of i guess in comparison to last time but also kind of you know getting getting it all together and and preparing for that i am not really a part of this project this time uh which is um probably the biggest difference when i did it the first time uh i was very hands-on with it and um i am not so uh, I don't I, I don't know much about what they're doing now um, or who they're recasting. I know that we've lost uh, some performers, but mm -hmm. in terms of the show itself, I'm, I'm not associated with it, really. It's my music. It's my lyrics. Um, but I believe they're doing their own thing now. So, uh, you know, all I can yeah. say is that I hope people like it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. hope at the end of the day, uh, the, the music and the lyrics still continue to speak with people and whatever storyline they've uh, recreated for the, you know, their own um, needs and desires as the producers and director and, um, you know, musical director that, that you know, that they've, you know, achieved that for themselves. Uh, I love my original cast. I, I, I love them with all my heart they were the the heart of the show and um and i you know i don't really know um i, know, I think they just recast someone but i actually don't know who that is and um and so i don't i don't know much but i i i wish i had more to tell you abby <laughs> i just <laughs> don't right. I, 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 i'm just not associated with I'm not associated with it this time around it's it's cool. it's on they're on their own for this one yeah no i'm sure they'll love it i mean the i mean yeah you're so going going into your songs your songs always for me always have a very very personal meaning um and for me like i can listen to it one year and come back to it the next year and get a completely different feeling out of the same song um so kind of how do you when you're doing your albums and stuff how do you kind of make that decision of who's going to perform what what song uh, normally now, I think because my catalog is uh, a little bit more extensive, I, I really allow the performers to pick. So I just say, mm. um, what song do you want to sing? 
Um, what are you feeling emotionally? You know, if they connect to the song, that's the greatest thing. So uh, who am I to dictate um, um, who, you know, is going to be feeling something emotionally at that point? Uh, they, they know themselves better than I do. Um, in terms of albums, um, I, I've been doing that as well with this new album. I sort of have sent, you know, three or four tracks per to each performer um, and given them the option to pick um, and each of them, you know, what, you know, in terms of what sort of feels closest to their own relationship with their child. Um, and so that's how I've done it this time. Uh, in the past, I, you know, I, I, I had my dream performers that I've always dreamt of working with. Um, and I've been really lucky because, you know, 90% of those performers have, um, you know, agreed to perform with me. So I, I, I don't really have as many dream performers anymore. I really, you know, the sad part is I really just don't know the new crop of talent. <laughs> I don't know a lot of the young, uh, incredibly talented youth that are performing on the stage nowadays. I'm an old, old man whose concentration is on his daughter. So all I really do is I write the songs now and I just sort of um, allow other people to sort of tell me who to pick. Like I will ask on Twitter all the time, who should I ask to do my concerts? And then the people write a list and I literally don't even normally check out their stuff. I just trust that the, the the base of people that like my work know who would sound best mm -hmm. on it. They've been attending my concerts for years. They know best and I really do trust them. So I literally will go, great. So-and-so want to come, so-and-so want to come sing. And then I end up having about 40 people at a concert and I get yelled <laughs> at by the producers of the concert because they go, where are we going to fit these people? Um, <laughs> and so I literally... I, you know, I have uh, six sold out concerts in, um, in London that have been moved back from May, then to October, and then, um, you know, now, uh, mm. in, uh, next October. And, you know, I have like 25 people per night singing and they're like, even with COVID, you know, are the restrictions tapering down by that time, we just can't do that. So, you know, we're gonna have to pull some performers. <laughs> and that's, that's life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So from coming from someone who, for myself, as an aspiring yeah. singer songwriter, how, what does a typical songwriting session look like for you? Like where kind of, where do you pull your inspirations from? Where do you kind of start in terms of a, a I get a typical songwriting session. I know that they're probably not <laughs> the same each time. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, if you're if you're doing songwriting, you know that sometimes the inspiration comes in a melody, sometimes it comes in a lyric. I'm not. Uh, I know there's there's a few songwriters out in the world who just write down on a piece of paper their melody line and then follow it through with lyrics. I'm not really that kind of person. I write from an emotional standpoint, very therapeutic mm -hmm. for me. So uh, normally I like to, or I tend to just sit at a piano and just sing and I record myself while I'm singing. And a lot of times the song actually is a duplicate of what I just sang. So I will literally just be sitting at a piano and just write a song within like three, four minutes because it's therapy for me, you know? Um, and uh, I have a good memory, which is very helpful. So sometimes if I am singing a chorus, I can remember that chorus lyric and then re recount it again for the next, you know, uh, lyric, the second lyric. Um, 
And uh, that's normally how I write my stuff. I, I tend not to overthink my material too much. Uh, I think sometimes when I overthink it, I lose the gravity of the truth and the honesty of it. So I tend to just sort of stick with the initial uh, process and sort of just trust that that's what was meant to be said. And, um, and I go from there. How do you write, Abby? And how long have you been writing for? Um, not very long. It's, it's, I've always wanted to write. And I've, I think for me, it's always been something that's been a bit of a, a battle in terms of how to write. Um, I've written a couple of songs and I did a couple of, um, a couple of like songs that were kind of for me. And then a couple of worship songs that I kind of felt would work well with my church. Um, and so I guess for me, it started, it did start with the lyrics more than the melody. Um, I think lyrics lyrics really speak to me in a song. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of started from there and really kind of thought, okay, where am I? What am I feeling? Where is that going? So that kind of, that's where it started for me, but it's very much work in progress. <laughs> well, don't, you know, I, I have a lot of people who say to me, like, um, I'm not a songwriter. I'm trying to be a songwriter. And I'll go, no, if you're writing songs, you're a songwriter. You know, the, and I said it before that it's that each person... We're, we're gravitated by this idea of what we believe success is, but sometimes you just have to sort of look mm -hmm. within yourself and say, what is uh, my level of success that I'm looking to achieve? What is it that I'm trying to achieve? I always, my level of success was always just reaching people through my music and it never really mattered how many people now it does only financially because you want to be able to, you know, sell out concerts and make money and support your family. So all those things come into fruition. But in terms of success rate, I mean, if you're writing songs and they have meaning to you and they're, they're about God and they're about, you know, your spirituality and they're, you know, you're able to allow other people to feel through them. I think that's fantastic. You've already reached a level of success for yourself. Now it's next time is, you know, finding the next level of success. And within that, we'll always find failure too, which is also the beautiful thing because you can't, you know, find success without failure. So you'll just keep failing and failing and failing and writing horrible songs until you write that next great one. And that's the beauty of it all sometimes. You know, you're not always going to write the best song. Sometimes your mind isn't there, your heart isn't in it, um, and you're pushing yourself too hard. But, uh, you know, don't don't ever uh, limit the way that you're, you, you see yourself as a songwriter. Because there are songwriters out there who have written one song in their life, and it happens to be a number one hit, but that's yeah. the only song they've ever written, right? So, you know, don't limit yourself, because your one song could be exactly what the world needs yeah oh thank you i think that's a really good advice <laughs> just what i needed um i'm aware we're coming to the end but i have a, uh, just two more questions so something we um something we have talked about a lot on the podcast is um kind of um inclusivity within theater things like body positivity um you know thing um you like lgbtq performers um kind of using the term blah uh, not blind casting but conscious casting color conscious casting kind of what's your kind of take on on how that is changing or what the way that it's moving within within theater at the moment it's not changing you know it as well as i do it's not changing mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons i walked away from the distance you have come i'm not going to speak about it too much until the production is done um but it's not changing people don't have a vision uh about humanity and um, they, they are stuck in an idea. I mean, 
look the I want to say something, but I'm not going to because I really do. I, I love the people that are the cast that's working on the show and I, I want to support them. Um, but in terms of other projects, it's not changing. It's not. We, it's so funny. I went out with a group of people last night um, for dinner and we have we had a long conversation about this. And some some things made sense of why some things aren't changing, like, you know, trans performers. Uh, you know, entering into a well-known show, how you can change uh, um, vocal lines and the choruses of songs. You know, if, if someone's been in there for a year and always was singing the you know, soprano role, then they have to change over to the alto track. And, you know, I mean, I understand those points of views from some people, but then I'm, I also don't. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's so much room for growth for us to all learn a little bit more. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there shouting, um, you know, change, 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 change. Um, and I wish they were listening. And I wish the people that are not, you know, open to change would listen as well. I wish mm -hmm. that people would sit down and have a honest uh, conversation and a truthful conversation and say exactly what people are feeling and thinking. Um, but I don't see a lot of change. I mean, you know, you're still going to have, unfortunately, you know, 80% of the cast is going to be white and, uh, you know, they're going to be straight and it's, it's, it's the sad truth. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think that people go, oh, we've cast someone who's black. Great. So you have one person who's black in your cast. Fantastic to you. Amazing. I'm so proud of you for all the success that you have. It's it's just sad. It's the way that people think. And it's it's yeah. it's not enough. It's never gonna be enough until people really, really change. And mm -hmm. um, I heard someone say to me recently that I hate it, but then I thought about it more. They said, Scott, when you wanted to cast, this was about the distance you have come it looked like you were just casting boxes and you were thinking in terms of boxes. Like, and I thought that was hurtful at the time. And then I thought, well, maybe that is what I was thinking. I want change. I want people to grow. I want, you know, uh, someone who's, you know, transgender, either male to female or female to male or non-binary. I want them to be seeing my work and telling my stories, especially in an open forum, like the distance you have come, which is all about, you know, humanity. There's there's no need to to put gender uh, specifics on um, those roles at all. Um, and so, in those terms, maybe it is checking a box, and maybe we should be thinking more in those terms. But you know, I I just I I'm I'm afraid to say that I don't see a lot of the change because I'm, I'm experiencing it. And I'm watching it myself. Sorry, this mm -hmm. is probably not the answer you were hoping for, Abby. Um, but it's a truthful <laughs> answer. And um, and that's how I feel. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's I, I it's something that we have talked about a lot. And it's uh, something that I feel very strongly about. And, and it's yeah, it's something that is I think is yeah, it's not it, it needs to change. But it's it's unfortunately it hasn't. And it's it's not anytime soon. But it's um, it's sad that hopefully having these conversations will be able to kind of spark something in in some in i don't know i don't know what it will take but it something needs to happen it's just yeah i don't know if these conversations will do anything i think in reality mm. that the whole everyone needs to just start over i think you know when lame did that years ago 
um, where they literally just fire their full cast and then they restarted. I almost feel like every production needs to sort of do that and start from the beginning. Yeah. And, um, and, and mm. because if people mm. are saying that trans performers can't be inserted into a show a year in because they might not be able to vocally, um, you know, uh, hold up the, their role or their, their part in a chorus, great, then start all over. Then start all over. Just start from the beginning. You know, yeah. restart with a fresh eyes and, and a fresh take and and th th then people can be, ex you know, inclusive a little bit more if that is the biggest issue. Um, and yeah. then, of course, there are going to be people that are cast members that will say, how dare you say that I should be let out of my show just to make way for someone who's trans. I mean, everyone's going to have something to say, but yeah. Um, you know, I think Lamis did it right. I don't think they did it for that reason, but uh, you know, that's in a weird way what might need to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, as we finish up, can you share with us one one self-care tip that you you do for yourself? One self-care tip that I do. Manicure and pedicure. Nice. Yeah, just do I one agree. Yeah, yeah I nice. <laughs> nice oh well thank Always. you so so much for coming and chatting to me it's been an absolute pleasure it's a great and uh you know i wish you the best of luck with all these things that you're you have lined up and keep thank pushing you. i know I, I think when you reached out to me before I, I sent you over to kevin you said oh i don't know if you'll do this but don't think in those terms never think in those terms thank never you. doubt never doubt yourself to uh to build up the confidence of someone else the way that i always think of things abby is my work is good enough for whomever i am thinking of sending it to and they should feel as lucky as i should to have them sing to be able to sing the work so in those terms you should think the same way i'm doing a podcast it's from the ground up we only have nine episodes but you know, uh, what I do is different and unique. And we talk about a lot of different areas of discussion. And, uh, you know, I would love to welcome you with open arms onto my podcast to, sh you know, showcase whatever it is that they're showcasing. And you have to see your work as something that is legitimately going to help them and vice versa. Otherwise, you know, you, you've broken before you even began. And I don't want to see that happen for you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I just want to reiterate a big thanks to Scott for coming to, to chat to me. I know he's super busy and um, his daughter takes up a lot of his time and it is a full-time job. Um, but yeah, he was so lovely. And as you can as you can hear, he was so supportive and just had such wonderful words of advice and so real and down to earth to talk to. And I really enjoyed chatting to him. Um, so yeah, so guys, go and give him a follow if you don't follow him already. Um, and as you know, we love to celebrate um, everything our guests do um, and what our guests are up to. So our song this week is a song that was written by Scott. And this was one of the first songs I ever heard. Um, and to this day, it still it still touches my heart. And it's still one of those songs that I can, I still listen to all the time. So this is Not Ready Yet to Grieve. And it's sung by Cassie McIver.
song gets me every time oh, and honestly if you haven't heard Scott's songs please do go and give them a listen and go and give him a follow and thanks again to Scott so as always as we finish up here's the answer to the game earlier so to recap our five people were Kim Walker, Melanie Field, Jodie Steele, 
Jessica Keenan Wynn and Madison Firth. So, did you guess it? The character that links them all is Heather Chandler. Did you guess right? Let us know or go and play along over on our social media pages. So thank you once again so much for listening in and a huge, huge thanks to Scott for coming to chat to me. Uh, Please check out some of our other episodes and please do follow us along over on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and make sure you tune in next week and keep up to date with our social media pages to find out who we're chatting to next week. So until then, see you then and remember to stay safe, stay stagey and most importantly, stay you have a great week guys and if you're seeing a live theater show this week let us know what you're seeing and have fun